Welcome to No Challenges Remaining from the site of the City Open. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by City Open's owner, visionary, Mark Ein, who is on, his, on the show for us for the fourth time. We did three shows together last year, Mark, sort of charting the journey of uncertainty, of, and there was some hope for a bit, and then obviously, and then eventually the eventual cancellation of the 2020 edition of the event. Uh, but now we're days away from the 2021 event starting what is this, you know, in a few words, you can, we'll get into more details, but in a few words, can you sum up what the last sort of uh, 12 months has been like for you as someone who is looking after this event on the calendar? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd start with just how we fit, sit, feel sitting here today, the day before players come and two days before matches start, which is just, it looks like just thrilled, like literally just, I think the whole team is overflowing with energy because there's so much excitement about this tournament this year. And obviously there's a lot that we'll have a chance to talk about, about people coming and things that happen. But, um, you know, it is an event that is really beloved in our community. I'm a product of that community. I was a ball kid at the event. Yep. But there's so many people over five, 50 years where this is a big part of their life and they were sad they didn't get to come last year. And when they saw that it was coming back this year, people were really incredibly excited and now you know, now there's so much more in the last month for people to be excited about. So we feel that energy and uh, have channeled in, into getting ready for what, you know, we think is going to be the best city open ever. So what, what was your sort of runway like for this event, getting ready for it? Having obviously no event last year, you knew that a few months in advance, like a couple months, not that far in advance of when last year's event might have been. How did that sort of extra time and having a year off, how does that, does that give you more time? Obviously, there's still a lot of uncertainty in the world yeah. that you, I'm not sure... Now, let's talk about the uncertainty, I guess. Like, how, how long have you known what this event would look like, or how much is it still an evolving process? Yeah, I, I'd say one thing is that these, these tennis events are difficult management challenges because they're so episodic. Like, you pop up for a week, and then you're gone for 51. And yeah. so to sort of keep a cadence of activity throughout the year is, is a challenge. It's not like any other business. Now, we've added some other things that we do, like an esports team and a newspaper and some other things that we add so that it's more of a year-round uh, organization. But this is the focal point. And, um, and so that off-season is always, it's just, you know, it's a bit of a challenge to keep up the energy. That said, there's things to do in the normal course. But with COVID, there was so much uncertainty that talking to ticket holders and sponsors, like until the beginning of this year, we really couldn't talk to people with any certainty about what this would be. And everyone said, come, you know, talk to us when you knew what was gonna happen. But I would say that, you know, maybe February, March, it was pretty clear that the world was gonna head to a place where we would be able to host the event, yeah. at least with no fans, hopefully with fans. And then as we got closer and closer, the world got better and better. And that let us just kind of keep adding. We started with a small, Sort of the very small plan that was the beginning of last year, which was a no fan plan. Then we added 50% capacity, and then the last three or four weeks we went to 100%, and that's kind of how we've how we've yeah. worked on it. I was going to talk about that next. Can you talk about the journey from 50% to 100? So that was relatively recent development for the tournament. Yeah. So you know the um, you know COVID has gotten into generally had gotten to a much better place in our country, and so the guidance in our city was that if you're vaccinated or if you're, it's an outdoor activity that you can go to 100% capacity. So the nationals and other events and concerts did that. Um, we, have a, we have a unique 
situation here where we're in a national park service, so we have work with them, which is an additional layer. But everyone came to the conclusion a month ago that as an outdoor activity, Washington is one of the highest vaccinated places in America, probably in the world, has one of the lowest incidents of COVID. Everyone felt like as an outdoor event that going to 100% was okay. So we got the green light probably three or four weeks ago, which is obviously great on most dimensions. It added a whole lot of additional things for us to do, including building a huge amount more uh, facilities to accommodate all the people and selling a lot of tickets. What sort of scaling up do you have to do for double the people? Then? Yeah, I mean, so we, you have to have, I mean, one of the things that we did since we took over is we created really special places for people to come to eat and drink and socialize, places that are indoor and air conditioned, not just for VIPs, which is how it used to be, but for all fans. So we had one place that would have been great for 50% of the people ready to go, when we got double the number of people we had to conceive of, get permits for, source and build a second and a third one of those. Because it wasn't just we got 100% capacity, but I know we're gonna get to our special guest Mm -hmm. in the tournament for this year, but because of the intense interest, every ticket is sold. So it's not just double the capacity, but it's overflown crowds. And so we wanna make sure that everyone comes and has a fun place to, to hang out even when they're not watching tennis. Save some anticipation, the special guest talk for a second here, but I guess sort of building a field for a tournament too. I mean, this was not on anybody's schedule last year for the players because no, it wasn't held, no one came. So there's maybe a little bit of almost, I would guess maybe a little bit of reintroduction you need to do for the event uh, for players on the ATP side. We'll get to WTS in a, in a bit, but was how, how automatic was it that you get the same sort of caliber field or how much was it sort of like, hey guys, we're back and here's why we make sense? Yeah, so we would have had an incredible field last year because we were the only event in the world we would have been there the was first a, event there, back. There was a real talk you were doing the first yeah, event Yeah, back. yeah and I, we, I think yeah. we had four or five of the top ten. I mean, we had almost, we really had an extraordinary field. So, And this event now I really do think is on players' radar screens um, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. And so it wasn't hard. I mean, it's something that we keep in dialogue with people about. People want to come here. We're the only ATP event next week on tour, so if people want mm. to play, uh, it's a 500. There aren't many of those. We've missed a bunch of those. And so, um, you know, I think it's it's on everyone's radar screen, and there's a huge amount of interest by players in, in coming and being part of it. That's pretty rare to be this have the week to yourself, right? That hasn't happened before for this. Yeah, and it's part of it is, part of it is. Usually this, like Hell or something. Yeah, yeah, no, Cabos is usually yeah. at the same time. Um, so part of it is in an Olympic year, right. uh, they changed the schedule. Solos Cabos was last week, um, and they leave this week free for us. Nice. Uh, so, obviously, the big marquee player you hinted at before. Uh, <laughs> this is someone that. I've gotten a lot. No, it's fine. <laughs> there's, there's no spoilers needed for this podcast. Remember, this has been news for a few weeks now. Uh, I got a bunch of texts from people from around here when it happened as well. Uh, Rafael Nadal signing up for the City Open. He's the first member of the Big Three to come to Washington since the Big Three really became a thing. I think Federer played like 21 years ago or so before he was really the guy he is now. I mean, he lost in the first round. Um, probably on some outer court somewhere here. But, I want to find the people who have the ticket stuff. It's exactly, like your Beatles ticket exactly, when they came to Washington, yeah. right? Uh, so having, uh, how, how did Nadal come into Washington happen? This is not a, a part of the calendar he usually plays. He doesn't yeah. usually come to his North American summer this early at all. Um, what I, w- I was surprised when I heard this announcement. Um, what what <laughs> got him here? So, again, once we took over the event a couple years ago, one of our goals was to make this a place that pl- all the players wanted to come. And we aspired to have all the players come. And that takes a reasonably large investment in terms of the facilities, the uh, support for the players, 
I mean, everything down to the food. I mean, there's so many things that go to make it an event that players want to come to. Um, I think after 19 word got around that this was a really good tournament and that players got treated really well. We've had an amazing tennis community here that supported tennis for a long time. And if you look at our list of our previous champions, it's a huge amount of the greatest players ever yeah. in the game, right? And so the stage was set. Um, and so I, you know, it was set. And then really it was him and his team reached out because he was looking at the best preparation for him after skipping Wimbledon and the Olympics to get ready for obviously the run to his 21st at the US Open and decided that he wanted to come to Washington before it was the, his career was over and come to the event. Obviously we were overwhelmingly thrilled and uh, and that's how it came. That's how it came to pass. Yeah, I mean, it's. I guess I don't know if he'd been someone on your on your radar even because of how because his schedule's pretty fixed. I mean, he's he's a guy with a lot of routines. He's never never played this event. I don't know if he ever considered this event very much before. But yeah, what what was sort of your reaction when you got the call from whoever would have been on his team that Rafa wants to wants to drop by? Yeah, same old, same old. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Obviously, that's a joke. Um, you know, look, we, we really have gigantic aspirations for this event, and I think hopefully people have seen the progress we're making. We have big long-term goals, and those goals include really being able to be a place that can attract every player. We've reached out to all the camps in the past. There's no expectation, as you said. It's not the norm. We were thrilled and honored. I mean, I, I so admire Rafa, not just for what he's done on the court, but how he comports himself off. I love his humility, his work ethic. My whole motivation for doing this event is I think tennis teaches you, whether you're a tennis player or not, lessons that stick with you in all parts of your life. And I can't imagine anyone better in the world than Rafa in our community and people getting to see him up close to, to see what it takes to be the champion that he is. And so you put all that together, we were obviously incredibly thrilled and honored and, um, you know, hope he comes back. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, you mentioned sort of getting to see him. One of the things you're doing here is showcasing his practices, I guess his first official practices, I don't know if he's practicing on Friday, but on the days during qualifying, Saturday and Sunday, he'll be practicing. We're sitting in the stadium now, so on the stadium court, lots of people making that available. What made what made you want to make that sort of a, a marquee event? Because people who have seen Rafa practice, especially, I think of the of all the top players, his like sort of intensity of practice is pretty, pretty special. Yeah, so um, one of the things I personally love to do as an avid tennis player, someone who's you know, goes to all the events, is watching the best pros practice. I think you learn as much from that as you do in the matches. So it's an experience, but it's not an experience that most people get to see up close because, you know, sometimes people, ha there's some, some grandstands, but it's small. Yeah. And so when Rafa sent us his practice schedule for the weekend, it instantly hit me, why don't we put it on the showcase court? It's, well, you know, um, one of the issues we're having is there's so much interest in seeing him that every ticket for the week sold out we started a waiting list. There's 15,000 people on wow. a waiting list to buy tickets, um, which is wonderful in a lot of respects. To me, there's a little bit of disappointment in that all the people, we can't accommodate everyone, but tickets on qualifying weekend started 25 bucks. And so it hit me, boy, why don't we show Rafa um, in the stadium? He's gonna be practicing three hours a day, both days, and make it available to anyone. And so we reached out to his team. His team said, yeah, great. And so we appreciated that. And I think it's going to be an extraordinary experience. I don't know that anyone's done that before. And um, I think it's going to be incredible, an incredible opportunity for people to see him. You uh, mentioned the 15,000 people. I just Obviously, we're still coming out of a pandemic or still in a pandemic, whatever phase you want to say for the U.S. What are you doing to make sure, obviously, this is a city-approved thing. It's an outdoor event. There's a lot of things going for and a lot of life is getting back to normal. But how do you make people uh, feel safe and be safe? 
here? What, what sort of stuff are you doing? Well, the, the biggest thing we're doing is people can be outdoors. So you don't have to go and I mean, you can have great food, great drinks outdoors if you're not comfortable. If you're not vaccinated, you don't want to be. We'll encourage people to wear masks indoors. If there's a mask mandate, we'll comply and have people making sure, which will make people feel safe. I mentioned that Washington, D.C. has, I think it's 85 plus percent uh, vaccination rates and incredibly low levels of COVID. So part of what determines safety is the amount of COVID in a community. But that said, we want everyone to be safe. And so we're following all the strictest protocols. Um, And there's a fairly tight bubble on the site around the players to protect them um, that we're going to enforce. And then another thing that we're doing actually is providing vaccines for all the players yeah, if they want. Yeah, and so, that. yeah, and so, so yeah, health and safety is a paramount concern, and I think we have a lot of good, got a lot of good procedures. Uh, one thing I was going to ask about was about the player vaccination rate. Is there some sort of construction going on over there? Maybe you can hear a little bit up in the background. Um, there's been a couple of tournaments that have done this uh, on tour. I know Charleston did it for the women. I know Belgrade did it on the ATP side, and maybe a few more have done it more quietly. Um, but what was the thinking behind getting? a vaccination site available for players. I know the vaccination rate among players is not all that high from what I hear. I mean, I just think it's part of being a player-friendly uh, event. And But personally, I, will, I hope everyone in the world gets vaccinated because if you get vaccinated, you pretty much aren't going to get sick and you're almost certainly not going to die. So yeah. everyone, and it'll, everyone does their part to stop the spread. So I personally deeply believe we should all do whatever we can. Yeah. I know that players who don't live in the United States haven't all had that opportunity. And so with MedStar, our medical provider, um, we thought it was really important for us to be able to provide the players with that opportunity. One of the things different this year is the women's setup. So you have, instead of having the WTA event, which had been, this has been a combined event on site, same place since 2012, and 2012 through 2019, basically it's a combined event. Instead of that, there's a women's exhibition event with four players that's gonna be happening here. Three of them have been announced already, Coco Goff, Jen Brady, and Pagula. Jess Pagula. Jess Pagula, who's the last winner of the WTA event here. Uh, and what, what, so what happened, I guess, with the, with the women's tennis here? It's been a question I've gotten from a bunch of, bunch of local fans. Like, what, has, what happened with the event habit no longer being an official combined event? And what made you want to make sure there was some sort of women's uh, tennis on offer? Yeah, so unfortunately, when we took over the event, we owned the ATP sanction, but we were leasing the WTA sanction, so we didn't control it. And the company that owns the sanction decided, for whatever reason, I assume it's money, it's the only possible explanation to move it to outside the United States and Poland. Yeah. Um, I was deeply, obviously deeply disappointing. I'm a huge believer in women's tennis. Uh, you know, we've owned the world team tennis here team for 15 years, and we've made women the focal point, Venus, Serena, Martina, Ingus, Naomi Osaka, goes on and on. Yeah. And so I, personally, it was very disappointing. Uh, we are working really hard to get our own sanction here. We're doing everything we can because ultimately I, it's really important to me that this is a full combined event. Um, and so I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to do it. But until then, we needed, in my opinion, to showcase women's tennis. Yeah. It's a big part of the sport. And so fortunately, it came together with Coco. We had an amazing time here. Actually, her first pro title in doubles right. uh, in 19 with um, McNally, Katie yeah. McNally. Yeah. And, and it was a really big thing. If you remember, she, you know, she was here in qualifying. She qualified, lost the first match. But it was a big event for her coming off that Wimbledon. So we have a great relationship with her. You know, she met with the first with Michelle Obama. So it's like it was natural. And then we decided we would surround her with the what she was supposed to be on the Olympics. Unfortunately, she couldn't go, but with the U.S. Olympic team. And so Jen Brady was great. And then Jess Pagula is our defending champion. 
And so that was the nucleus of the event that we're bringing, and yeah. we're excited about it. So you mentioned uh, a couple times the Olympics. Every four years, this tournament, or I guess every irregular interval now is being 2021, has the Olympics uh, also to compete with or to sort of be on the schedule somewhere around this time of year, roughly every time. It doesn't seem like this field uh, is all that dense. Sometimes the Olympic years are pretty off. You look at the entry list, it's like, oh, what, what happened that year? Oh, it was Olympic year. Okay, that kind of explains what happened there. Uh, this year, not so much, but I'm curious, like, how much you've been watching the results in <laughs> Tokyo uh, to see, oh, hey, that guy lost early. Let's get him a wild card or pick up the phone to this guy. And I will say, I think there weren't that many big marquee losses early in Tokyo. I don't think the draw necessarily cooperated with you that way. Uh, for that, but I'm curious like, how much you've been keeping an eye on, on the event during this for, for those sort of opportunities. Well, you know me and or people in my position well, so yeah. you've described every morning when I wake up. Yeah. Um, and But that said, we couldn't be more thrilled with the field this year. Um, we really have an incredibly deep field. We have two of the Wimbledon semifinalists, four of the quarterfinalists, obviously Rafa, Coco. Every ticket is sold, so we feel like we don't need anything at all. But opportunistically, if we can find some players who would want to come, that would be fantastic. And so, yeah, I mean, I was on the phone this morning with a couple people. Um, I don't know that we'll get any, but it's you never know. Um, and it, But it really has an impact. I mean, a lot of people skip the Olympics this year, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And so I think it's a pretty extraordinary field already. And the fact that where it's the only event in the world this week is also helpful. No, I mean, I think it's not unfair to say, and I'm, I'm curious to talk to him about this whenever he does his, his press here, but like Nadal, I think you could say somewhat, it wouldn't be unfair to say he skipped the Olympics not to play Washington and is playing Washington instead. I mean, these are back-to-back events in the calendar. So if he was going to play the Olympics, he wouldn't have played here, but he made a choice several weeks out, like, hey, Washington's what I'm going for this year, you know? Like, for whatever, all the extenuating circumstances he can enumerate and but having yeah. a goal, the U.S. Open, I'm sure, also might as well as what four times in the last decade. Um, yeah, you see some players like shifting away from the Olympics with everything going on there, and towards and towards uh, Washington in a different way that I think you've really ever seen before in this kind of numbers. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, and there's a whole bunch in addition to Rafa who made the same choice to skip the Olympics and play Arvan and others, um, and so. I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but I'm just I'm glad that players think Washington, top players think Washington's a place that they want to come. And um, you know, every day I get texts from players who are leaving Tokyo to come too, because um, ones that are already in the draw are coming over, and so you certainly can do both. So some skipped it to play here, some are doing both, and yeah. we may get some last minute surprises. There you go. All right. Any other things you want to leave with Mark uh, before we go? I know tickets are pretty much sold out. Not that this is supposed to be a sales show, but yeah. anything else you see as you look out of the stadium and think about what's uh, what the last two years has been like and having it be be full again. You know, I, I love walking around the grounds and how they've been transformed. You know, Arthur Ashe started this event in a public park, and it was important for him. So it's been in the same location, Rock Creek Park, since 1969. Yeah. But you and I live here. When you come here three weeks ago it doesn't look anything like it does today and we have an incredible team of people who work literally around the clock to transform this site and um and you know i i feel like it looks as good as pretty much any event people go to anywhere and that's our goal is to be a world-class event and we're excited to welcome people here you know i'll tell you when uh, when we got the call that rafa was going to come I, we told his team we'd love to help him also see the city and the sites and yeah the restaurants and his team said, you know, 
they said, if Rafa comes, he's coming to play tennis and win the tournament. Yeah. And uh, so I love that line. I'm sure, I know he does want to see some things and meet some people, but it's great not just to have him here, but have him really competing and trying to win our title. And uh, it's just going to be a great thrill for everyone in our city. No, it's definitely definitely a big, a lot of buzz around it here. Uh, that'll only increase, I'm sure, as days get closer. Mark, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate so thank you very much to Mark Ein for being on the show as sort of a denouement to his trilogy of episodes during last year, which were about tracking the course of that tournament during the pandemic, which I still think hold up as a really sort of interesting time capsule for 2020, if anyone ever wants to relive that year, which I'm not sure you would. But going back and listening to the progress of the City Open and the questions they had at various times, I think really does serve as an interesting sort of document for the pandemic in tennis. And now the tournament ahead, going ahead, seems like right now, for the most part, life is getting back to normal on the tours slowly but surely. Life was not normal the Tokyo Olympics with any of the results there, really. Uh, well, normal if that you expect the unexpected in women's tennis, I guess, but obviously the big surprise of Novak Djokovic losing the semifinals, stopping his bid for a Golden Slam. We'll have more on the show soon, hopefully, with someone in Tokyo who's covering the event there. So look forward to that as well. And also we'll do some more stuff from the Washington tournament, which is my home tournament coming up. And apologies again in the episode for the sort of construction noise that dominated a bit of the last eight minutes or so of that interview hopefully was listenable for you all there and we thank all of you for listening always and especially those of you supporting us on patreon where we get a lot of very crucial support from our listeners to keep the show going and ad free including one new listener since our last episode mike padretti so thank you to mike padretti and thank you to our backers we thank every episode including our slam champ backers Susanna w sean mulroy mary carillo leah williams liz kennel jonathan weinbaum jean simeon james hindle antonio maycumber anna valinder timothy Liu, and ashley keel and our GOAT backers, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J-O-D. That's all for us. Hope you're doing well. Talk to you again soon. Bye.